Welcome to PLV Radio Network out of BC, Canada, where inquiring minds meet inspiration. Coming up next is the Innovation Series. Well, hello, plvradio.com. This is Frank Germano with Martin Durantes and Todd Livingston again. And we are off finishing up and probably still will have more to come on Coral Castle, Ed Leeds Scallon, Nikola Tesla, the secrets of the Knights Templar and everything. Well, hey, guys, how are we today? Doing good, Frank. Doing good. Doing good. Well, we were just uh, talking earlier before we started the recording on some of the secrets of Coral Castle and a couple of good websites where we're drawing a lot of information from is CoralCastleCode.com, which is run by John DePew, and, of course, the famous Code144.com, which is by the brilliant young Jeremy Stride from down under in Australia. Well, Todd, fire some stuff out at us. What have we got up this week? Well, we were talking about last week uh, about uh, Edward Lee Scallon and some of the things he he was tinkering around, and we we're guffawed by the fact that he could move such giant stones with scant evidence of any uh, uh, bulldozers or or any other uh, technologies that could have could have moved that. And everybody in the engineering community has always been scratching their heads about that one. And I would like to someday figure out to forensically take apart what he was up to and see, you know, and, you know, using what uh, Martin Durantis just said, uh, figure out a way to commercialize some of those technologies at some point, you know, because, you know, moving heavy stones is a labor intensive <laughs> chore these days, for, uh, even with, you know, hydraulics and things like that. Um, oh, and I, and I'm, I just keep on looking back at, like, you know, because he had, you know, very minor resources. So I keep on looking at like old tech and low tech solutions of how he may have done it, um, and even postulate you know, you know they they may have had you know some inkling into you know uh, you know vertical takeoff and landing of uh, big giant uh, coral bedrock. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm still trying. I'm grasping at straws aside from like you know some of the little hints that he's left behind, such as the the book. Uh, uh, magnetic Currents by Edward Leedskelman. Has and, uh, anybody else worldwide have created a, a move stones or something? I mean, they talk about the Egyptians and the Well, the, the Egyptians, heads. the ancient Israelis, uh, the ancient Indus uh, Valley Civilization. Uh, I know that one of the striking facts of, of ancient technology, for example, one of my favorite examples is in the Indus Valley Civilization, there's a giant iron column and it's 99.999% pure iron so it doesn't corrode and it, it's you know people look at it and they, they marvel how they did that you know thousands of years ago um, the, the other another anomaly that kind of strikes you know bearing reference is uh, in the supposed ruins of the original uh, Israeli uh, uh, temple is there's a, if I remember correctly, a 400-ton block in place. Oh, yeah. Bigger, big, bigger than the ones that they found in ancient Egypt. And it's kind of like, 
how did they do that? You know, the, the biggest one I think from ancient Egypt was like a hundred tons. But you know, then then you go over to you know Israel and you look at that that big giant thing and it's still there. How the heck do they put that you know in place? You know, especially with the, the resources they had at the time. Well, that's the one that I'm wondering. Uh, as we were just talking about earlier before we started the show, uh, when we draw from the websites, uh, particularly John DePue's website, pearlcastlecode.com, uh, where he references uh, the Holy Grail. Now, we're not going to get into anything religious on this other than to say when you look at the Grail as it's depicted and then combine that with those uh, schematics, the diagrams, the magnetic current or the arcs that appear on Ed Leeds Gallen's book, Magnetic Current, they look kind of like a treble clef. But historically, when we go back to the earliest images that we have, the hieroglyphs from Babylonia, Egyptians, uh, over in India, for Pete's sake, even the Maya and the Aztec, you see these same uh, depictions of this arc, which you know everyone up until now, or recently anyway, has thought, oh, they're just cute decorations. Well, what if it really is the ancients throughout time depicting something which, if you follow John DePue and Jeremy Stride's logic, or Ed Leeds Scallons, and then even Tesla, you see these arcs as, as an engineer, let's say, as a blueprint. It's showing how a magnetic field can be controlled. And what if the Knight Templar which later became the Freemasons and then the builders of the Norman Hall in modern time, of which Jeremy, Des Jeremy Stride describes uh, the correlation to Coral Castle. Well, it's all like a piece of the puzzle. They're leaving us a guided blueprint, not necessarily to build a machine, but of controlling the magnetic current. And then it starts making a little bit of sense where what if the Holy Grail was really not anything to do with a chalice or a cup? What if it was how to control this magnetic field? And then putting the pieces together, as you just said, Todd, well, maybe it was pretty easy to move these, you know, monstrous, heavy blocks of stone because they could control gravity. A stretch, well, you know, what type of machinery does it? Well, you always see depicted these guys carrying some type of a staff. Well, what if that top of that staff was a crystal or something that, you know, emitted X frequency? Uh, I don't know. They did a lot of something. freaky stuff in the, the Egyptians. I mean, yeah. you see some of their well, mummies, they they look like they're told, each hand is holding a, um, a rod. And some say yeah. that one rod is copper, the other one is zinc, and will actually cause a charge effect in the body. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of like 80% there. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, to our listeners, we don't want to sound like we've just lost our rocker or we've had too much to drink in the afternoon. But if that staff was some type of a control rod and all of the priests or the kings or whoever seemed to have one and they all seem to be like, you know, prominently displaying it, even in the hieroglyphs, well, what if that was a tuned resonating device not necessarily any power in that device, but it was no different than a control rod. Well, it resonated at a certain frequency, which affected something uh, controlling the magnetic current. We know from Schauberger that something very tiny, i.e. vortex or implosion, can affect huge you know, atmospheric conditions. Well, why couldn't a small little resonator affect 
magnetic current, gravity itself. Interesting proposal there. And, uh, you know, looking at uh, CoralCastleCode.com, I'm inclined to believe John DePew has really broken some barriers and pieced together those cute little, you know, depictions. But they form complicated DNA-type structures that chalice their figures that we've been seeing throughout recorded history that we've all thought were cute little decorations. I'm beginning to think maybe there's a blueprint there that we need to take a more serious look at. Well, truth be told, we can't we can't ignore the fact that you know that for example there are you know quote unquote anti gravity devices such as uh, electrogravitics, which is often a misnomer for for for, for that area uh, of you know anti gravity. But you know basically you're you know fighting you know against Earth's gravity. So the truth be told is yeah your anti gravity is not you know an anti graviton particle by any stretch of imagination, but how how would you take you know what is right right now just a, a tabletop toy for most people and amp, yep. you know amplify that effect hundreds if not thousands of times to 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 move move a block uh, that it's not outside the realm of possibility you know you know uh, just you have to figure out the the how uh, mm-hmm. and those well, those anomalies with the with the ancient tech you know, ancient peoples are still there. People, because yeah, I get it from time to time. You know, like people say, "Oh, you know, we were a bunch of cavemen back then." Well, well, we still get these anomalies we have to to account for. Um, exactly. You know, so my well, my my favorite example is up where my my dad's family is from, Scotland. Uh, you got the vitrified forts up in you know uh, northern Scotland. How did those come about? Because the the amount of trees that would have taken to melt those forts together into one homogeneous piece of stone would have taken all the trees in Britain at that time. <laughs> exactly. um, my other favorite example of ancient technology would be Trinitite out of out, out in the uh I believe it's in the uh the Saudi desert or possibly nor- northern Africa that pops up from time to time. Trinitite was was that fused, you know, slightly radioactive gra- glass that they found out at, at uh Trinity where they blew up the first uh, nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it exists in other parts of the world, you know, in scant you know varieties, but it exists nonetheless. So we have to account for those anomalies in ancient technology. You know, the the most common version would probably be like the the Baghdad battery, um, and it's there. We just need to figure out what its purpose was, and 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 when you see things like you know ancient Chinese swords that had electroplating on them, you have to wonder whether these People that were in the quote-unquote Bronze Age or the Stone Age were much more adept than what you know history lets on. Oh, I I totally concur there, Todd. I mean, Martin and I have you know in digesting Nikola Tesla and something as simple as the turbine. Brilliant. Tesla always referenced. I mean, some of Tesla's uh, lesser-known quotes directly correlate, uh, you know, the Bible itself as information and him quoting that Moses must have been an amazing electrician. And in that, not the tangent again towards religion, but what Tesla was referring to was the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the curtains and that it would have created an electrostatic effect. Well, again, we're forced to look at something from way back in time uh, with our supposed modern technology, and realized maybe these ancients really knew an awful lot more than we gave them credit for, in particular, how to control 
magnetism and electricity. And if we go that stretch, that opens up some amazing things with, well, how did they move those blocks? The fact is they're there, and the fact is with our modern technology, uh, it would take a contracting uh, construction company, uh, wow, trying to move those size blocks, even with heavy lifting equipment, would be a stretch today. So uh, Sometimes I it's kinda... even, even, even small, too. Um, my favorite example is uh, medieval nanotechnology, where you have one atom's thick... Uh, We're doping, laughing at nope doping of, of glass to get different color effects from gold. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at that even today, and I, I saw that on Azo Nano News. Uh, it's, it's definitely a mainstream uh, uh, technology resource. It might be defunct now, but it uh, I, I, I guffawed by this, that, that they could do something like that back in the Middle Ages. Another example would be uh, on a small level rather than big, uh, Wootz steel. It's, a, it's like a Damascus steel, but one of the cool things about it is there's carbon nanotubes in the steel. <laughs> and that's something. And you know, there's speculation they, they came up with it from a special kind of soot from candles and stuff like that. But just the fact Wait, that they could do that, you know, so many. Are you, know, you saying? Is, are you saying similar in a honeycomb fashion that the nanotubes are laid out and then the the steel is melted around it? Um, the speculative point of view is that certain kinds of candle wax will produce carbon nanotubes in its soot, and it is hammered and folded between the layers and lends a surprising amount of resiliency to the metal that it is applied to. You know, you know go figure, nanotubes. Um, it's just that nobody's figured out exactly the method of doing it. There's been people who've done experiments that tried to replicate it and they come up with a pretty good, you know, you know, um approximation, but nobody's replicated that process exactly right. Uh, me be, me being a Chinese martial artist, I'm fascinated with like Mong Chon steel and, you know, other, you know, things like that. But the one that fascinates my attention you know, for ancient technology is the root steel. Because if you could replicate that process that would be a revolution in the steel industry for applying carbon nanotubes to steel. And if you could figure out how to cross-link all those nanotubes, you'd have this super resilient steel that wouldn't bend or break, and it would ha- you know, have all sorts of amazing properties. Um, well, look but yeah. at how recently even just Damascus steel, uh, you know, throughout uh, the last uh, several hundred years, was considered you know, impossible or a myth. And yet here we find that the Chinese and the Japanese, through either extreme, you know, knowledge passed down from generation to generation, were making these incredible, particularly the ninja and the samurai swords, uh, those were craftsmen. But where did they come up with, you know, folding that steel in and over itself? It may have been even a... It may have been even a European invention, because I, I remember the Ufbear, uh, uh sword that they, that mm-hmm. they found. And that's sure. that has the same remarkable uh, metallurgical uh, techniques that you see in Japanese blades as well as the wood steel. Sure. So the, Lots the of question, things. And, and my my, part, my part, particular favorite is uh, 
for ancient technology is Huron of Alexandria, the same guy who came up with the steam turbine <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> 2,500 right, years. Right. Yeah. And he also, yep. another, another one that I like that nobody seems to bring up that much is he had a actorless play that had automatons and scene changes done by a rope and he encoded information into those those uh those reels as the 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 play pay, played out you know via i think it was uh sandbags and or uh hydraulics and as the 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 level changed and the gears changed it would there was actually a, a program that would run and he came up with you know you know programming you know 2000 you know plus years ago and i'm like could you imagine what would happened if if that was realized by the general populace back then oh my gosh yes yes you know, you'd have information revolution you know all you know prior to uh you know uh Jesu Cristo, yeah you almost like need a mythbusters for weird science you you do yeah it's like you know because there's there's like what there's what the history says there's what the evidence and the forensics present and then there's what you know, like, you know there's what modern physics say, and like sometimes even modern, the modern physics is crazier than you know the ancient uh, technology uh, anomalies that pop up too. Well, I mean, you know, even with with modern, let's say, with Ed Leach Kalman and his book Magnetic Current, uh, the early electronic engineers, electrical engineers, scoffed at that book, the pamphlet, really. Uh, and yet now we do know electricity does not travel down the wire, the copper wire, the strands. It's spiraling around the outside. Well, that, so, that's been known for a while, but we're, we treat it for a data signal, and that's where power line communication gets its uh, benefit. Where, well, but it's only, my point. it's only being we're captured not, for data. We are not paying for electrical usage. The meter is only saying how much passed by point A to point B, which Tesla had to design, you know, at Westinghouse, or probably more specifically J.P. Morgan's behest. And Tesla kind of thought, well, why? Okay, well, we'll measure it. So to this day now, we are charged for how much electricity flowed by that point. That electricity didn't disappear. It's always been there. It always will be. So we're just kind of like... uh, Somebody looked at a stream of moving water and said, "Well, you're paying for that passing that point. The water never disappeared; it was never used up." So, kind of the trick on the American or the global population of being charged for electrical usage, where it's just passing that point in that box, and that's spinning the kilowatt hour gears, and that's what comes in the mail every month is your utility bill. You just got me but, thinking, uh, like. What what if they okay? Remember how uh, you know how Nikola Tesla had like you know both positive and negative uh, entrained Tesla coils. I wonder if oh, there's a yeah. hack. Now most most of the general uh, populace believe in positive electricity, and you have this particle be called you know this hypothetical particle called the electron, which I personally believe is a smear of quantum probability, and I love I know a lot of quantum physicists will back me up on that one. Uh, but mm-hmm. what if there's a hack that you could do it? Where you have the negative uh, variety of electricity coming back through, and you could cheat the meters. <laughs> it's just a blackboard exercise, but it like it, it just like it scratches your imagination a little, you know, because like because like you do it, 
the general community wouldn't be able to grasp the, the theoretical underpinning, so they, they couldn't really, you know, fault you. And it'd be a hack that would just like, you know, I think it go go underneath most most people's noses in that in that field. Well, it, you know, definitely. And and this is where I mean, you know, we're talking Coral Castle and Leap Scallon and a little Tesla here. Uh, but if we take it a step further and, and uh, add Walter Russell to the mix, as we were saying, you know, before the show, well, Russell's book, The Secret of Light. And I always had a real difficult time grasping Russell saying there is no positive or negative pole to a magnet. There's positive and negative electricity and then magnetism being electricity's opposite or in opposition, magnetism trying to cancel out electricity. Well, if we take that jump and then Russell saying that light is ultra-high frequency electricity and then something we talked about in one of the earlier shows, heat being high-frequency electricity, some things start to get interesting there where that spiral effect, i.e. alternating current, both forward and backward, let's say, vortex spirals of electricity, one being positive, one being negative, Todd, Martin? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Mm. Counter, well, it's it's like the tornado, which you've got counterflow and, and clockwise flow. Right. And that they're generates an there. electrostatic charge, which yeah, we talked they're about both in one other show. Cradle. Yeah. So these magnetic arcs, let's say, that we're seeing in the, the uh, graphics, the hieroglyphs, Edlitz Galman's book, uh, John DePew depicting it on CoralCastleCode.com brilliantly. The chalice, you know, the holy grail, uh, the DNA spiral, it all seems to be a spiral oscillating back and forth, i.e. frequency vibration. And maybe these old bucks, the ancients, uh, hmm, maybe they did figure it out. You know, what is gravity, if we reduce it to magnetism and electricity, then gravity, maybe we have the word totally wrong. Maybe it's just the combined effect of the magnetism and the electricity. A possibility. Because uh-huh. there's quantum effect, because there's quantum gravity, and then there, then there, we also know that light, Electricity and magnetism also are quantum components as well, and so my my question is, yeah, it, it just really de- delves down just to the Fibonacci mathematics of it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because you have electricity and magnetism which are at right angles with one another in in, in one perspective, um, and some you know people you know view it as a particle, but I, I tend to think of it's it's a you know smear of quantum probability. So if you do the same thing with gravity. But now, now that's that's a big question. Where, where you know, because I always get my kicks out of when I get the, the smarty, you know, smarty pants know it alls that are Newtonians. I say, so what is gravity? And they just yeah. start scratch. Yeah, they get angry. You know, it's like when, when I'll go up to the, and ask the same when I, when I want to get a, a mathematician mad, mad at me, I'll say, or if I want to just throw mathematician off the subject, I'll say, can you explain negative i to me? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and they'll and they'll, they'll go off on a rant. Um, but yeah, well, here's, it's like, here's an interesting one, and this week I just uh, had an email a few weeks ago on, and uh, this was just a layman, and he was asking the questions. Don't ask me why I got this email, but I 
10 through a few hundred of them a week still. Uh, if we think of, let's say, a, a kid's ball, a beach ball, and we spray it with water, and now we hold it in our hand, and kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters, we spin this ball. Well, what happens? All the water flies off. We know that. Centrifugal force. Okay. Well, I was kind of curious where he was headed, and then it became obvious where he was headed. So here's our view of the universe, and Einstein, Newtonian physics, we have the Earth spiraling at a tremendous rate of speed, 24,000 something and change. We can add this to the notes later to get the exact figure, but off the top of my head, 24 some thousand miles an hour. And we're spiraling. Well, if we take Physics 101 and we use that example I just brought up with a beach ball loaded with water and we spin it at, what, a few miles per hour? and all that water's flying off, his question was, well, why aren't the oceans, why aren't we, why isn't rocks, anything that's not tied right down, flying off into space if gravity's such a weak force? Well, I instantly wanted to, you know, oh, well, there's this and there's, well, the simple answer is, why isn't it if gravity's such a weak force? And we have such tremendous speed and centrifugal force. Hold on, the regroup on that one. Yeah, you're saying it. if gravity is a weak force, then why isn't the water being flung out via centrifugal against centrifugal force? Correct. At such a high rate of speed. His example of the beach ball was simply if these little droplets of water in such a low speed are flying off. Or think of uh, when you were a kid on a merry-go-round. When that merry-go-round got going fast enough, you had a hard time hanging on. So if we have the Earth spiraling at thousands of miles an hour... Why isn't everything just flying off if gravity is such a weak force? And this is where I'm kind of, you know, yes, there are answers to that to our listeners. But the logic behind it is kind of where I was headed with the electricity and the magnetism, i.e. gravity. We may have a name for it, but it may be the, the just as simple as electricity and magnetism, which would start making a lot of sense for what we see in the ancient uh, hieroglyphs. And then Ed Leeds Gallon with Coral Castle and his brilliant pamphlet or book, mini book, Magnetic Currents. Those arcs that are depicted could really be significant if we spend some serious time and uh, try to decipher what was left. Huh. Mm. Yeah, you got me thinking now. You got me thinking. See, see. <laughs> When, when you've got the three of us all quiet, you know our minds are spinning on something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I'll, I'll be scribbling down notes for the rest of the night, and we'll, I'll, be, I'll have plenty of show notes for next week. <laughs> uh, oh, definitely. But, um, well, this, this is fascinating because, you know, when we, you know, when we pin the show or when you see it uh, listed on the screen to our listeners as Ed Leeds, Gallon, and Coral Castle, it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more information that correlates. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, once again, I reference uh, Jeremy Stride in Code 144 and John DePew in CoralCastleCode.com uh, because they spent years assimilating this information. And there's some excellent videos uh, out on YouTube by each of those gentlemen. Um, but where, let's say, maybe the hardcore physicists or the mathematicians or the engineers aren't really taking a look at this, uh, the more that we casually are looking at it, the more fascinated I'm becoming. How about you, Todd Martin? 
Actually, you just got me thinking. Okay, um, Jeremy's uh, brought up a lot of points that you know there's some you know there's symbolism in Edward Lee Scullin's work with the Freemasonry. Now, mm-hmm. a y- years ago, I you know I, I had fascination with like you know the history of you know science, and a lot of chemistry comes from alchemy. And then there's been some mm-hmm. modern alchemists. Uh, that one notable example was there was a mysterious figure back in the early part of the, the uh, 1900s. He went by the name of Fulcanelli, and he wrote a bunch of alchemical treatises on the old cathedrals built by the Freemasons. And one of the things that got me thinking is uh, one, one of the big anomalies with, with Fulcanelli, it was said that he you know, discovered some uh some chemical you know elements and talked to some of the great bigwigs anonymously you know they knew him as Fulcanelli and then he disappeared um so he you know he said that they'll be you know discovering certain you know elements for the next few months or so like that and they did um you a lot of people look up uh, Fulcanelli he's a mysterious figure but some some of the parallels between what Jeremy was talking about and you know some of the ideas alchemical ideals of, you know, because not all alchemy was about, like, you know, transmuting gold. Some of it was actually, you know, uh, like metallurgical science. And some of those, the stuff that we're talking about, like, for instance, the Wootz steel and the Damascus steel were products of alchemical experiments. So you got me, you got me terribly thinking right now, what, if there's a link between what Edward Blade Scalman was working on and if the and what Fulcanelli is working on, may there if there's some cross pollination between those two thought processes. There's always a correlation or a cross reference that each will maybe uh will support another ideal. So I think it's highly probable. And that's what I said in the last show that Ed Scallon was in the same time frame with Nikola Tesla. Now, there's no connection correlated with him meeting Mr. Tesla, but is it possible that, you know, there was a printout? Um, you know, it's it's never said whether Tesla was part of the Masons or not, but I would probably strongly... Just inspiration, probably inspiration possibly? Huh? Just, just, just uh, I'm sorry, uh, inspiration possibly? Some of Tesla's stuff was like early 1900s, like uh, for instance his famous earthquake experiment. Some of his experiments, you know, uh, relating to uh, free energy, wireless energy. That was all prior to, you know, that was like in the very early years of, of the 1900s. Uh huh. So maybe uh, just like some by Tesla publishing some of his papers and patents could have given. Ed, you know, inspiration. Well, right, and we're not. At the time that it was written, it was cutting edge technology, and there was no reverse of uh, education, as in AKA Maxwell, uh, to restrict the thinking. Yeah, I like that one too. Oh, now I just brought the name. Uh, uh, Fulcanelli met with Jacques Berger, who's an atomic physicist. Uh, back in you know uh, the years prior to World War Two. 
<laughs> to go on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the one that proposed that you know, uh, there there's going to be. I see. He warned about nuclear power, and he uh, also uh, brought up the fact that you know uh, the element barium after bombarding uranium with neutrons that the element would be d detected. Um, barium being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in physicist thought right now, guys. <laughs> I'm, All right. Yeah. <laughs> I blame, I blame you, Frank. I blame you, Frank. Oh, it's always my fault. It always is. Yeah, yeah. But in lieu of that, we've come to the end of another great show, and I think we've touched on enough that we probably should continue this again next week and delve a little deeper here. And maybe this time, uh, tangent a uh, little bit more in depth on Lee Scallon and where this may head. We still haven't figured out how he built that coral castle. No. And I think we could be spending, you know, many, many episodes discussing some of the stuff he's doing. I think so as well. I'd like, to, I'd, like, Martin. Oh, I'd like ahead. to go over yeah. his book. I'd like to go over his book next time, you know, because uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's fascinating, you know, experimental work too. Yeah. You're you're referencing Lee Ed's book called Magne Magnetic Currents. Yeah, Current. uh, one of the things that I thought was fun was his uh, perpetual magnetic machine, mm -hmm. where you had magnetic currents ranked in a circle. Perpetually through a little, uh, you know, a gadget that he invented, and it it works. People sure. repl replicated that. And I'd like to discuss that next time. Definitely. Uh, and just to give uh, readers, we can uh, put some links up. Uh, you can download Magnetic Currents from uh, Kindle, uh, Amazon.com. It's hard to find that in print. However, I think we can post some links. I believe uh, both John DePew and Jeremy Stride on their websites have references to some freely available PDFs on that, because it is a brilliant piece of writing. Uh, if I, you I, get over the fact that you have to, you know, you cannot look at it as an electrical engineer. You have to look at it from assuming Ed's leaving a lot of things uh, in code. And that was some of the, uh, let's say, the sleuth work that Jeremy Stride did, if it's in code and it's correlating to Coral Castle, that was almost a rhyme there, uh, then it starts to make a lot more sense. And uh, particularly with the correlation now up to the Norman Hall in Philadelphia, when you look at that ceiling and you see those same magnetic arc depicted and it's showing a progression through a field, the field stable, the field affected by something, the field opening up, and then the field settling in. Uh, wow. Wow. It, it could be huge. It could be a rediscovery, but it could be a great discovery for modern time if we can learn how to control this magnetic current and the field. <laughs> yeah. Hover, hover bikes for everybody. <laughs> I got a I got a slight I got a slight note and this is off for offline um uh, I guess discussions to reevaluate but we all talk about the writings of Nikola Tesla and the newspaper articles but Nikola Tesla was very close to his friend uh Mark Twain yes for which yeah. the question is did Mark Twain ever make any writing about his friend Ooh There's that's a good one there. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to pick that one up in the next show. But Martin, real good one to bring up because Twain did, in fact, 
and well, Twain, uh, Samuel Clemens, with his you know kind of dry, almost sarcastical sense of humor, was fascinated with Tesla. Didn't really understand everything, but you darn well know those two must have had some famous conversations. I do remember and, one blurb about the fireball being rubbed in uh, Tesla's hair without well, burning anything. Yeah, that, that that's a good yeah. one. Another good one is uh, Tesla seemed to. <laughs> oh, I have to laugh at this, but it is in uh, several of the biographies. Uh, Margaret Cheney's uh, Wizard, uh, Mark Cyphers, uh, great book. But Tesla had a platform that all visitors would come in and he would say, you know, stand. Well, it would begin to vibrate. Well, it was it was powered by one of Tesla's mechanical oscillators tuned to whatever frequency Tesla wanted to. Is this the brown but, note one that he did? <laughs> oh, this is the funny one, because Twain's comment was, you know, basically kind of saying, Tesla, you sneaky SOB, because yeah, you had to running. be near a bathroom. They had to run for the bathroom. So, yes. Yeah. So uh, you stood on that uh, platform, Tesla turned on the mechanical oscillator, and whatever frequency Tesla, which... You darn well know he knew, what he, he knew what he was tuning it for, but it was an instant laxative. The resident so, frequency of the Lauren test. Exactly. Hey, now that can be commercialized. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. You certainly wouldn't need any, uh, and I don't want to say the name, but you certainly wouldn't need any uh, over-the-counter uh, formula. You'd just need a simple <laughs> little platform. <laughs> what is the regular... <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a bad thing. What is the resident There's probably an invention there. The <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There you go. There you go. What is the resident frequency of a bowel movement? <laughs> what's, what's, what's the resident frequency? Hey, wait, wait. Yeah. I'm yeah. going gonna, I'm gonna to post that challenge to all the listeners of this show. What is the resident frequency of a bowel movement? Oh, and I, I just see MIT pranks popping up left and right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah well, then, on, yeah. That one, yep. on that one, I think <laughs> we probably should bid our adieu to the listeners at plvradio.com. And uh, this is Martin Durantes, Todd Livingston, and Frank Germano. And uh, we will pick this up next week because I'm sure we just dropped one on our listeners there with that last We just second. dropped a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> There's several jokes there. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. Okay. Well, enjoy your day. Again, this is Martin, Todd, and Frank, plvradio.com, and we will talk again next week. Thank you. Take care. Thanks Bye-bye. for listening, everybody. Bye. You have been listening to The Innovation Series. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it on plv-radio.com under Parshows tab.